Hello and welcome to Season 3 of The Century Plan, a podcast that looks at financial independence, how to achieve it and how to maintain it during a lifetime that may see people retiring today living to age 100. Hosted by me, Dennis Hall, Chartered Financial Planner and owner of Yellowtail Financial Planning. And me, Sarah Steele, Operations Director at Yellowtail and Technical Controller on this podcast, here to ask questions on behalf of you, our listeners. So we're on episode two of season three of the Century Plan today, Dennis. We are. Um, we're in a slightly different location. Do you want to explain to people where we're sat at the moment? Well, you're uh, working from home for a couple of weeks. Um, So I've come to you and we're looking out of your living room window at the rolling Devon hills, or some of them, (laughs) (laughs) which which look gorgeous, but I'd hate to go running around here. It is very hilly. It is. It's It's good training. Um, I'm sure it is. <laughs> um, you can keep it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Much hillier than Exeter. Uh, yes, okay, so we could talk about the hills or we could talk about the subject of today's podcast, which is how much money do I need to retire? And the reason we're talking about this is last week we, we looked a bit further into longevity risk and the impact of increased life expectancy on our retirement planning. We, we looked at the challenges we face. But what we didn't talk about is what we're actually aiming for. So what are we aiming for, Dennis? How much money do we need to retire? Well, I mean, how long is a piece of string? I mean, everybody is different. So I think today, if we're talking, we're going to just just pick, make some assumptions and pick some numbers to see how I would begin to chunk some of the planning that I do for somebody to help people get an understanding of the size of the problem, if I can call it a problem. Um, So if we looked at somebody who wanted 50,000 a year, and let's even ignore whether that's gross or net, because where income comes from in retirement is taxed differently. Let's not go down there. If we're looking at somebody who wants about 50,000 a year, and I've only chosen that because it just makes the maths a little bit easier (laughs) for me. Yeah. Um, how big a sum of money do we need to deliver that sustainably in retirement and to have some index linking through what might be, as we said before, a 30, 40 year retirement? Okay. Um, well, I know there's like calculations out there that you can use. I've heard of the two thirds rule, two thirds of your salary is what you need for retirement, or you can 10 times your salary to get the number that you need to retire on. Do they work? I think what they do is give you uh, a sort of an indication of of the size that that you're looking for. But there are so many variables that I think we can be a little bit smarter than that. Um, First of all, we need to have an assumption about how long you're going to live. I always take you to age 100 for all the reasons we've mentioned in the the past couple of uh, seasons, never mind episodes. If you're looking at retirement and you're looking at a lump sum, I I work on this concept of the number. Everyone has a number that they need to aim for in order to deliver a sustainable level of income in retirement. That number is is the amount of money or assets that they have accumulated through their working lifetime to deliver the income that they need. And it is dependent on 
longevity, the time at which you or the age at which you retire. It's dependent on um, the amount of investment risk you take. So, um, you know, as I say, there are lots of variables. But if you're if you're interested enough and you're starting to look around the web, you'll come across something called the four percent rule. Yeah. And now the four percent rule is, I think, a little bit better than a two thirds salary rule or a 10 times salary um, there's a bit more science in there even though it has been to some extent debunked yeah. or you can you know you can pick holes in all of these things but you need to have some starting point to say well just how much have I got to accumulate yeah. that's the bit that people don't have yet how much have I got to have I got to accumulate and you know if we were looking at a 4% rule and someone said I wanted 50,000 a year, well, if you don't like percentages, take that 50,000 a year and multiply it by 25. Right. If you multiply it by 25, that's the 4% rule. And what I'm saying about this 4% rule is that you could take a sum of money and you could withdraw 4% of it per annum mm -hmm. and, and expect to have a sustainable level of income throughout retirement without necessarily running out of capital. Okay. Um, and having some index linking. But if you don't like the 4% bit, just multiply it by 25. And what we find is that 50,000 becomes 1.25 million. Okay, 1.25 million. All right, so in order to have an income of 50,000 pounds per year at retirement, I need a pot of 1.25 million. Pretty much something of that order. And it's the order that we're looking about. Okay. But let's not forget... That's what it is today. And Sarah, you're, you're not at retirement age today. No. <laughs> so um, let's say you're 20 years away. Okay. Because I don't want to give anything away. <laughs> so you're 20 years away from retirement. And if we think inflation might be hovering at around, I don't know, three, three and a half percent, say, you know, we, we've moved out of that very low inflation period to something that might be a bit more normal and sustainable. I use the rule of 72. Very simple. Divide that three and a half into 72 about 20 times and that will tell me how many years before the, that sum of money needs to, to double right you know okay. so what that 1.25 million at three and a half percent inflation yeah needs to be two and a half million in 20 years time if inflation seven percent goes into 72 about 10 times then that 1.25 million needs to be two and a half million in 10 years time and Five million right. in twenty years' time in a very high inflation environment. That's okay. the kind of thing we're looking out for. Oh, it shows what a massive impact inflation has. Then oh, it's the hidden enemy. Yeah, it is the hidden enemy. And people will look at their cash savings and say, "Well, my cash savings are broadly with inflation at the moment," but they forget the tax they might have to pay on that. So you're now getting below below inflation increases in in what it's worth, mm. and. It, yeah, long-term cash is unsustainable for that kind of thing. Yeah, well, I mean, we've well, we don't want to get that. down that argument now. Anyway. <clears throat> we've always said that. Um, okay, so now that we're talking about two point five million, and let's say we're using me as an example, and I want fifty thousand pounds income per year in my retirement. That seems like a lot of money for me to build up over that time, um, and you know, maybe that's what other people are thinking. So, am I going? Uh, I suppose I need to remember that I'm not going from zero now to 2.5 million what other things do I can I take into account to make me feel a bit more comfortable about that number well in the background most of us are building up a state pension in retirement yeah 
you know, if we're going to work or if we're mothers and we're getting a child benefit and things, you know, we're building up credits, national insurance credits that will give us a sum of money, approximately 11,000 a year if you were retiring today, um, of, of index linked, triple locked index linking currently of, of income in retirement. That's a pretty large slice of that 50,000. Okay. And how do I check if I'm building up enough national insurance contributions? Because... You know, I mean, I myself have been in and out of, not in and out of work for any other reason than I've had children. Um, and I've, you know, I probably need to check that I have built up enough national insurance contributions for my state pension. How do I do that? So, well, I mean, you can go onto the, onto the uh, internet, gov.uk forward slash check hyphen state hyphen pension. Right. Um, or just type in check my state pension into Google and it yeah. probably point you in the same direction. Yeah. And you can get an online um, forecast. Or if you have if you can't log in online, you haven't got the credentials to do that, there's an address that you can write to in order to get a forecast of national insurance contributions that are already credited, and you can then check those to make sure that they match your recollection of, of when you've been working or not. Mm. Um and this does raise an interesting question. You talked about working yeah. uh, uh, and then becoming a mother. Yeah. Is that if you are a, a mother and claiming child benefit, you're automatically getting national insurance credits for that period mm -hmm. when you're looking after um, children of school age. But high, you know, uh, households where there's a high earner yeah. who don't receive child benefit, um, some of those mothers, some of those families haven't been registering for child benefit because they don't think they well they know they won't get the child benefit yeah. but what they're unwittingly doing is they're not getting credited with national insurance contributions okay which is kind of a double whammy for a mother yeah you know she's not only she's stopped work so she's not building a workplace pension if she's not registered for child benefit whether she can claim it or not is another thing she's not getting national insurance credits for her state pension so and i know this is something that former pensions minister Steve Webb has been sort of mm. banging the drum for for a while and trying to get this um, or this situation in, out there into the wider public because there are thousands of people that are not building up credits, probably tens of thousands of people. Yeah, I mean, I had no idea that if you didn't claim child benefit that you still needed to register for it in order to get your national insurance contribution. So I'm sure there's a lot of other people out there that won't be aware of this. Yeah. And also, you know, you want to make sure that if you've had periods where you've not been working and not been claiming unemployment benefit, for mm. example, you, you know, you may not be getting credits there. Um, you know, are you be going to be able to get sufficient number of national insurance credits to get the state pension? Okay. And, and it's, it's such a good pension. Yeah. Because... For the amount of money it costs you, I, I you know, you, you can't match it in the marketplace. No, no. So, um, okay, let's say not, not for any other reason than you just haven't been working, you haven't got children, um, you've missed a few years uh, of national insurance contributions. You know, there's nothing you could do about it. You just missed them. Is there a way of correcting it now? You can buy voluntary class threes. You can go back. If you get this pension record, yeah. you can see whether you, which years you can purchase, um, and and purchase those for uh, you know a certain amount of money. It's it, I don't know exactly. It's around seven hundred and fifty pounds of each missed year's contributions or thereabouts. That kind of number, 
that delivers, um, you know, for 750 pounds, it delivers a slice of pension that if you were to try and buy that in the open marketplace, 750 pounds wouldn't buy anything like. Okay, so it's definitely it's worth doing that. It's super value for money. Okay, all right, because it does feel a bit like, right, in order to get the state pension, I need to pay out some money, but of course, you you couldn't Provided do it Provided you live, you're going to get it back. Yeah, yeah. Okay, all right, so there's a state pension, and we can, you know, it's pretty much ways that we can all get it. Um, check it, check on the gov.uk site. Uh, so state pension is one thing, uh, and that's making up a proportion of this pot that we're talking about. But but what else might we look at? Well, yeah, you've got existing assets. Yeah. Are they you know are these existing assets invested in the right way? And we're going to be talking about investments uh, and, and and things in a moment. But you've got existing assets. Property is a huge asset that people mm. invest a lot of money into. Um, but is it going to be too big for you when, you know, if you have children and they leave home, you get to retirement, you may want to downsize. That can release a substantial amount of money. And, you know, we see people who have bought properties in the southeast retiring to other parts of the country and releasing huge amounts of money. Yeah. Huge amounts yeah. of money. Um, not necessarily the entire pension's worth, but a bit that can take, you know, can take the edge off what might have been a... Uh, a rough-looking pension in, or retirement into something that's very comfortable. Yeah. Um, so property is one area. You've got private pensions. You know, the, the, your existing workplace pension, older pensions maybe that you've built up. Don't ignore those, because I think you really need to go in and start looking at how are they invested. Yeah, we need to talk in more depth about workplace pensions. This is something that's coming up a lot at the moment and I know we've we've talked about those other assets but workplace pension will probably be quite a big proportion of most people's um, pot that they're building up. It will and it will be increasing because now we've got this compulsion and I know you can opt out of it but you, you know um, employers have to offer their employees a workplace pension yeah. and they the employer uh, between employer and employee they have to put in eight percent a year and the employer it's 3% of that, the employee 5%. Um, some people look at that 5% and opt out. Mm. Not a good idea. Bad idea. You, first of all, you're giving up the 3% that the employer would be putting in. Yeah. Um, but if you, you, what are you going to live on? Yeah. You know, if the state pension is not going to be enough for you, you need to be building up some other assets. And that pension is going to be perhaps the next biggest asset that you have outside of your home, you need to be investing in that. So let's think about some things we need to be aware of with the workplace pension. So the minimum employer contribution is 3%. You put in 5%. A lot of people I know who I speak to say, okay, my employer does 5%, I do 5%. And they feel quite comfortable with that. But is that enough? It depends on the standard of living you want in retirement. Yeah. You know, it's that... How long is a big piece of string? I would say, for the kind of people that come and talk to me, an 8% contribution rate or even a 10% contribution rate isn't going to be enough if that is meant to be the main source of retirement income. Now, you may have a business that you're going to sell that will deliver a nice payday, but you can't guarantee that that business is, is going to be sellable at that time. Mm -hmm. You may be downsizing a property, but not everybody does, so that might do it. If the pension is 
going to be the biggest or the main source of your retirement income, I would say 10% isn't enough. Yeah, you said something to me earlier about look at things like the NHS pension and teachers' pensions and the contributions there. Look, yeah, the notional value that's being taken that's being put into those pensions between employer and employee, and we've got to understand that that a lot of those are not funded. They're not. There's not a pot of money that that's yours. But if the government are saying, well, we need to be taking somewhere in the order of twenty percent mm. from employer and employee to put into our pension. Yeah. Package, uh, I think we need to to look at that. And when we look at the old um, final salary pensions, where there was a pot of money that had to be managed for uh, retiring people, ten um, percent contribution rate was not cutting it. Okay. I mean, you know, you I think you would look at anywhere between fourteen and twenty percent okay. for a reasonably well-run scheme that was not running into deficit. Um, and, and, and if we've seen all of those schemes or most of those schemes closing down because of the longevity problem, yeah. perhaps that's the clue that says that 14 to 20 percent contribution rate, if it's not enough for a final salary pension, mm. is it going to be enough for me? Mm. Well, it might be mm. because you can invest differently to those schemes. You can take a little bit higher risk, whereas those mm. schemes can't. They have... They have fixed liabilities that they've got to, to cover. So they, they take a slightly more cautious approach in, the, in their investment strategy. But it is still a pointer yeah. that that 8% minimum for most people out there isn't going to cut it. Now, you've just talked about, you know, you can invest in equities. You can choose. So I think a lot of people... Um, are either um, a bit apathetic about it or they don't know that their workplace pension you know, is invested into usually a default fund um, for a balanced investor, 60-40. Um, and that might not be right for you and you might want to actually speak to someone about changing that. Is yeah, that it, something we can do? It, uh, I'll answer the first. Yes, it is something we do. I think that these default funds are... Uh, just a safe option for the employer or the advisor, really. It's yeah. kind of, you know... Again, if you're in your 20s and 30s and 40s even, and you've got a long period of time, if you're not 100% in global equities, which is where the real growth is, then you're doing yourself a disservice. You know, all of my children are told... I say all of them, there are only two. Um, <laughs> my children have been told until I'm blue in the face that all of their money has got to go into a 100% global equity fund. Nothing complicated. Global equities get that growth. My own pension fund, my own investments are 100% equity invested, mm. barring a little bit that I hold in cash just in case. Yeah. But mostly 100% invested in equities. Because you know, here I am in my 60s, I intend to be around for another 30 odd years. Um, that money's got to work and it's not going to work if it's in, in, in too safe a, a, an investment pot. Yeah. So you've got the choice about where your money is invested. And there was something else that we were talking that people really need to be aware of, particularly, I think, if they're, and correct me if I'm wrong, if they're sort of getting closer to retirement age, is this issue with automatic lifestyling? So a lot of older. A lot of older pensions and people who've probably got pensions with previous employers and actually still some current pensions around with this 
horrible lifestyling option mm. that would say that 10 years prior to retirement, we are going to gradually move, let's say, 10% of your fund every year from equity investments to cash or bonds. Mm. So that by the time you reach your retirement age, you've got this pot of secure money that if the market falls, it isn't going to go down. And that might have been a good idea if your intention was to buy an annuity. Mm. But very few people are buying annuities because at the current rates, they're not just cutting the mustard for a long-term retirement. You know, the people that come to me that are drawing down from their pension are invested. So you've been disinvesting all the way in that run-up to retirement, only to then faced with the decision of having to invest again, which might be a difficult thing to do. Yeah. psychologically Absolutely. but why would you so switch off the lifestyling switch off the lifestyling <laughs> I can't say that enough and no. I know I've got lots of my peers around the country are probably just you know saying exactly the same Absolutely. thing right now switch off lifestyling because for most people it isn't working in your favor no. go back to your old contracts don't just bury them in the drawer and then just you know out of sight out of mind yeah. this is your retirement income Get engaged with it, get involved in it, find out where it's invested. Look at the charges. We've spoken before about how charge. Oh, I'm getting passionate, Sarah. I'm getting passionate. <laughs> no, We've animated, spoken no. before about the impact of charges. Yeah. You know, you've got to strip these down as far as you can. Not too far, because, you know, I, I know people say, well, maybe I could I could cut out my advisor charge. And maybe you could, but if you're going to be making um bad decisions because you're not taking advice, then maybe the advice is worth having. Absolutely. Um, but no, just banging the drum for me now. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, you know, charges are important. Fund charges are important. Contract charges are important. The actual cost of the pension. You can strip these down as far as you can without going too far. Mm. Um, you know, we've, we have seen that if, you, if you're paying too little to your pension administrator... You don't get any pension administration mm. and it becomes a nightmare when you actually want to retire and take your money. So, you know, there is a fair price for the for the services and the and the work that you want done. Yeah. So don't, you know, don't become a complete bean counter. No, but don't lose out because you haven't checked what your charges are and they when it turns out they're high. Yeah, if you've got old contracts that are taking two percent off you for the funds and the and the contract and there's no advice there either, yeah. well, that's way too much money. Yeah. To be stripping out. It adds up. It'll take, you know, it could take half of your pension fund away. Well, that's so that's a really good point. Just say that again. So if you're paying 2%. Yeah, if you're paying 2% of charges, you're probably going to lose a third or half of your pension fund over the over a 40 year period okay. just to charges. Yeah. You can't avoid them. You can't get rid of them. They are there. Minimize them. Okay. And and it's likely you're not getting any advice for that two percent anyway. If you're in a well, if it's an old pension. contract, old workplace pension, no, somebody else is getting fat off it. Yeah, you know <laughs> the executives you. of the pension company, yeah. but it's not you. Yeah. Okay. So that's really important because if we're going to get to this two point five million, we need to make sure that we're being as efficient as possible with our investments. And it's not impossible to 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 get to numbers of that size. Mm. One is start early. Yeah. Obviously compounding interest and you know we've spoken about that before but the longer money has got and is able to work and that if it's invested in the right place you're just going to get money on top of money anyone who's 
coming to the end of their mortgage where they could see very early in your mortgage, you know, like compound interest in reverse. Yeah. Anyone at the beginning of their mortgage saying, I'm never going to pay this off. Yeah. You know, I've got a £200,000 mortgage and I seem to have only paid off 2000 this year. But, you know, get into 20 years into a 25-year mortgage period and they say, wow, actually, it's, it's the, the interest I'm paying at the moment is 2000 Everything else is just capital. Yeah. Is, is, is being wiped off at a great rate. Um, the pension is like the mortgage in reverse. Yeah, yeah. Starting early is probably a, the best idea, but you know, not all of us can. So. Start early. Ignore all of those people that, or, or anything you read about stock markets and equity investments being high risk. Now they're not high risk; they just volatile. Yeah. They go up and down more. The risk is those hidden things we're talking about: inflation, taxes where your money doesn't keep pace with inflation mm. because you think you're getting a stable return. Embrace the volatility and buy into global equities, into the great companies of the world, like, you know, the Amazons, the Apples, the, um, the, the, the NVIDIAs, the, whatever it is that you're investing in, these global companies and the not-so-global companies that we're all going out to work for every day Invest in your fellow man, I would say. They're all going out to work to better themselves. Um, and if they happen to be working in publicly listed companies, just invest in your fellow man because they're working for you now. Okay. All right. Now, Shh, bringing calm me it down. <laughs> calm me down. Bringing it back <laughs> to the subject of the podcast. And that's all very, very valuable and um, you know important. And I think we probably should do a podcast on compounding at some point just to, you know, probably. We could whole... use the rolling hills again, Sarah. It's very volatile. <laughs> very volatile uh, landscape here. Yeah, it is. <laughs> it is. Well, I don't know. It sounds like there's going to be a volcanic eruption or something. But. Okay, bringing it back to the subject, we talked about how much money we need to retire. We've talked about somebody, who, you know, having an income of fifty thousand pounds a year in retirement, which, as we said in previous podcasts, is actually a beyond what we'd call a comfortable retirement. So, you know, that yeah. may not be the figure you're looking for. But the most important thing about all of this, and I know that you said this to me, Dennis, is that you can't really start without knowing what kind of lifestyle you want to lead in retirement. So that's what you have to think about first. You do, because you know we, we've just picked this 50,000 or whatever it is. What is that based on? Exactly. Um, so, I, I mean, there are some exercises I do with people because very often they'll come in with an expectation that, that uh, you know, if I do want two thirds of my salary in retirement, and then you start digging down and say, well, yeah, but what is that buying you? Mm. Is that enough? Too much, too little, you yeah. know. Begin to describe what long-term retirement might look like. Yeah. And actually, it's not static. Early years of retirement, you might be very active. Yeah. Um, later years, you're going to be more sedentary. Um, so, you know, let's, let's just look at roughly what it is going to cost you and work the number from that. You might be pleasantly surprised that you don't need as much as you thought you needed. And actually, I have many people that I've worked with who have retired who are spending significantly less than what they thought. Um, and it's not because they're tight. <laughs> it's because they get into a pattern that says, I don't need this amount of excitement every day. There are things that I'm doing. Yeah. Um, and, and actually, they don't cost a lot. I get a lot of enjoyment by pottering around. And looking at the rolling hills. Looking at the rolling hills. Mm -hmm.